we talking about? What's on the table today? Man, on the table, we have something hot, 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 hot. Can't pick it mm. up. It's too hot. It's too hot. Mm. That's why we brought these guests in so they could pick up what's hot. Listen, today we're talking about or we're dealing with young adults leaving the church. Young Ouch. adults leaving the church. Um, and, and we're going to describe what church means and all that stuff. So young adults, you want to make sure that you tune into this. And let's talk a little bit about that. So listen, I told you the topic. But Pastor Wade, you got to tell us who's at the table. Listen, listen, I am so excited. I, uh, our guests I've known for a while. One of them I've known back in, if you have been around Adventist, uh, Adventist Youth Ministries for a while, you know this term, salty fish. Ah, <laughs> uh, salty this, fish network. This, this was the salty fish a guru at the time and uh, we are just so excited he has been involved in leading youth ministries and now leading young adult ministries um helping to shape that i shouldn't say just leading but helping to shape that and after a while teaching uh, then he decided he's going to become a practitioner in young adult ministry and our second guest also uh, is a, a practitioner in young adult ministry, in ministry totally. And uh, we're just so happy to have with us none other than Dr. Alan Martin and Pastor Guadalupe Montor. Welcome! Hey, hey, hey. Glad to have them in the space and in the place. Yes. Yes. Hey, hey Raj, I just want you to know, and, and I don't know if, if Dr. Martin, I think I've mentioned this to him before, but, but I go further back than that with, with, with Alan. I remember Alan, you and was it your brothers? You guys used to have like a, was it a saxophone quartet or something Ooh. like that? You remember that? Oh, Back you're, you're being very kind because my brother is the jazz saxophonist. And if I'm okay. going to be included with that and saying that I have musical skill, I'll take it. Um, okay. okay. I didn't get past the clarinet. So mine was not oh, as wow. cool as my brother. So okay. Okay. I All right. I appreciate that inclusion. Take it. Take it. Take <laughs> it. But I, but I, I know your brother played by himself. But I would. There was also when I was a student at OJA. There was a group that would come over from Forest Lake, um, and and would play. It was like a little ensemble or something. But but back from those days, the family and I graduated. I told you this last time. I graduated from Forest Lake with your sister. Uh, yeah. She was in my class back in nineteen. Um, yeah. <laughs> Man, so it's good to see you. Good to have you with us again, Doc. Listen, we yes, did not, yes, we did Doc. not, we did not exhaust your resume, your bio, any of that. I just went off of what I know. I, you are my personal friends, and I didn't want to give too much away. But we want to give you an opportunity to share with our group uh, a little bit about yourself uh, or what you're doing. You have this opportunity. Uh, we're going to give you thirty-five point five seconds. To share, uh, actually, you you take as much time as you need. We're going to ask uh, Pastor Montour to go first. Just share with us a little bit about you and what you're doing and and uh, where you at and and what you would like us to know about you. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Guadalupe Montour, and I work here at the College View Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm the I'm one of the associate pastors here that specialize in specializes in ministry to young adults. Um, I also get the privilege of serving on the North American Division Young Adult Core Team with Dr. Alan nice. Martin, uh, who I've known for a long time and who's been a great advocate of mine uh, as a female 
uh, in a very male dominated world known as Adventism. Uh, so I appreciate him. Uh, I'm married. I have two children. I, um, I was raised in New York City. I'm from Queens, went to public school all my life, didn't become a, a Christian or an Adventist until I was 16. And I just praise the Lord that he uh, redirected my path uh, in the time when I met him. So yeah, that's it. Nice. All right. Thank wow. you so much. Dr. Martin. Time is yours. Well, I, I am delighted to join you all. Hello, everyone. Greetings from the Republic of Texas. I am the teaching pastor <laughs> now at the Younger Generation Church, which is the vibrant young adult ministry of the Arlington Adventist Church here in North Central Texas. So if you're ever here in Texas, please be sure to come and join your worship with ours. I've been so delighted because my path has uniquely intersected with all of these individuals here. But my work right now is in regards to a special project we have for the North American Division. We recognize the challenges, part of the reason why I'm so delighted and honored to be a part of the roundtable today. Uh, but the initiative that we are a part of right now with the North American Division is called Growing Young Adventists. The idea behind this initiative is we want to, we aspire that every congregation, every local church becomes the best place for all generations to grow together. So today's topic is very important. It may be a little bit raw, but I hope that you'll bring your friends and others along here because I think there's going to be some good things that we will discuss here, and we're glad you're here at the roundtable. Excellent, excellent. All right. Awesome. Well, listen, let's get let's jump right in, man. Our time is is kicking. Uh, Dr. Henry, give us a word of prayer, and then we'll just we'll get right started. Let's, let's do it, Father. So grateful for our experts that have joined us today on the roundtable. I ask God that as we deal with this subject, that you give us wisdom, clarity. And that you help us, Lord, to take some of the principles that we are going to learn today and implement it in the life of the church. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 My friends, my friends, we have, uh, we've been talking about youth ministries a lot in my circles. I've, I've served uh, on a number of uh, committees and been a youth director um, on both levels of conference and for the union. But uh, share with us, give us an overview of the lay of the land, so to speak, as it relates to youth and young adult ministries. From, from, your, from where you sit, what do you see as an overview of what's happening in youth ministries? Uh, Pastor Montour, please share with us from your perspective. Uh, sure. Uh, I can only speak from my context here. And I, you know, I work on the campus of Union College. And my main ministry, about 99.5%, is to young adults. In terms of the landscape, uh, if we can just be real here, um, they are unhappy with the state of the church. They are unhappy with the top-heavy uh, culture of Christianity. And they are doing something about it, which is not participating, not supporting financially, uh, not supporting with their time or their involvement something that they don't believe is relevant to their life or even to their salvation anymore. Um, is there hope? Are there people who absolutely love Jesus? I think they all love Jesus. I think that they're disenfranchised with, with the church that is supposed to represent Jesus, that it hasn't stood uh, in a place that is countercultural to an experience uh, that is so contrary to goodness. You know, we haven't been very adamant or, or loud or become advocators for those impoverished, uh, those who experience racism, those who experience sexism. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're kind of tired of it. So mm. that's my take. 
you know, <laughs> let, let me add into there. I would love to hear because I think that many of your guests here, delighted for all that have joined at the roundtable, I'd love to hear what they're seeing from young adults from the local church too. So if they pop it in the chat here, I think that uh, we we understand we we see what's in the air. I, I apologize for interrupting you, uh, Elder Paul. No, no, no. This is your no, turn. no, no. I, no yeah, it's you. Yeah, you, your turn to share. So, so as as the comments come in here, I see some that are coming up here. Hey, Donnell, good to see you. Um, I, I'm 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 um, I'm distraught in the same way that Pastor Guadalupe is distraught. But the the next layer in, underneath there, I think if and please. Guadalupe, uh, help me refine this, is there's a disappointment. Mm, they, have, wow. they have a desire, uh, hopes, idealism that they have potentially founded in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, founded in people that they considered leaders. And I think there is a, um, a reality that as opposed to protesting the situation, um, our, our youth and young adults are making their voice heard by leaving the scene um saying you know what if you all are going to be about this type of thing um mm -hmm. i'm not sure that i want to be a part of what you're doing and that's how they are voicing their most adamant disappointment as adventists i think you know if anyone is acquainted with disappointment we as a denomination should be right we should have a particular empathy no. with that type of understanding and so right now it, i see these situations but the ways by which these individuals uh, of younger generations are sharing with us, it gives me hope, even though at times the raw realities that they're sharing at times may be hard to hear. Mm. Listen, uh, mm. one, of our, one of our viewers asked the question of defining the actual age uh, we, that we consider youth and young adults. So could you all Saba. help us with that? Um, Saba asked us, can we define what ages are considered youth and what ages are considered young adults? Either one can jump in. Uh, for me, I think that the context, in my context, we have always defined young adults as 18 through 29. Um, of course, there are some nuances there when people get married and have children specifically uh, because their world changes, their you know trajectory of what is important to them uh, can change a little bit. Uh, but for my context and my previous context in Massachusetts, that's kind of, it's kind of been around the age. In other contexts, it can it can push even to thirty five years old, um, and that's fine. It's you know it's a blurred line really. I think it's hard in many ways, especially if you're a thirty six year old woman or a thirty seven year old man, you still feel like a young adult uh, because you know we're, we're we're not married, we don't have kids, we don't have these other I guess what you know society has at times defined as adulting things, you know, like marriage and kids, which, you know, it's his own situation. But yeah, that's where, that's what we do. I love the conversation mm -hmm. that's happening in the chat and keep that going here. From my perspective, um, although I respect the age brackets, we live in a world where there has been some transitions in the developmental responsibilities of each, each age group. And so whereas at one juncture, once you were in your late teens, you were to be married and have your first child in a more agrarian culture, the developmental stages have slightly shifted now with the emergence of adolescence. So I would just say as a general rule in regards to youth, we're talking about typically formal adolescence. If we're to add an age bracket to that, that's typically your teen years. For some of your younger teens, they're going through some of those developmental stage elements that are a part of what we typically call youth. 
And the area that I've specialized in is in the area in the research that they call emerging adulthood. So as opposed to classifying it based on an age, I like to share it, it based on the developmental tasks that I think define that emerging adulthood stage, which is post high school or post secondary education through pre-parenthood. Mm -hmm through pre-parenthood. Okay. Now, obviously, there's some variations along those lines, but if you look at those ages there, um, there are some people that will deny their elderliness, and there's other individuals <laughs> that will stay forever young. But during mm -hmm. that stage of adulthood is some major developmental tasks. You know, you're moving from formal education to finding out what your career is going to be. You may decide where you're going to live for a period of time, maybe finding a significant other. There's a variety of developmental tasks that are part of what we call young adulthood that in the literature is called emerging adulthood. Wow. So, mm, so, so let me ask okay. this question, like you know, in our church, in our church, we, we said, we used to say youth ministries was from uh, 16 to, to 35, 35, you know, to 35, so, yeah. so 35, you were still considered youth. But I remember as I was coming Mercy. through, we began to say, wait a minute, that don't make sense. <laughs> Cause the 29 year olds were like, I don't want to be considered youth. Yeah. And and so I think that's when I right. ran into you, Dr. Martin, when we started to really look at young adult ministry, um, yeah. especially in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Uh, what was interesting to me was when I would go overseas to, to the larger church events, when I go to a GC event that was a youth event. I would see some 40 and 50 year olds who were part of the youth program. <laughs> and that was a little confusing. Is there a difference in terms of uh, the American thinking and the world thinking or, um, or in terms of the, in the Adventist church or is, you know, uh, each, each country needs to kind of define it for themselves? Well, I think that's a great question. I think that let's just be real here. And Anselm, had, we had a wonderful conversation before we got on, on, on the broadcast here. But we all create our own definitions. So now if you go to an AY, it's basically everyone coming to that meeting, right? Right. <laughs> you, have, you have some individuals that call themselves singles, but they are a different type of singles from the ones that just, just became 20-something. Uh, Again, right. we create language around the different things that we're talking about here. Now, here's the part that's really important to your question here, is that the degree to which the larger... Uh, shall we say, the larger demographic culture identifies themselves as youth and the actual teenagers do not have a voice, I see that there is a significant problem. Because as okay. we get older, we become more mature, we have more influence, and we're used to hearing our own voice. It makes us, um, it makes it difficult for young people to actually feel as if they're heard, but further to feel as if they're seen. And so in a church that says we're a young church, but that young means that I am younger than the 80 year olds. Um, yeah. It's very easy for a teenager to hear the message that we've oftentimes told our children in church, which is basically sit down, shut up and color. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and don't spill your juice. Like your and, don't color. Spill your juice. <laughs> and so that at, oh my. in regards to that, that frame, what has happened, and, and this is why I'm so excited about practitioners like um, Pastor Guadalupe, is that young adults aren't protesting that. They're saying, if there's no place for me in this church and I have to now be 60, 50, 50, between 50 and 60 years old, accomplished and have the 2.5 kids before you will listen to me, I've got wow. major Fortune 500 companies that will listen to me. 
I'm handling multi-million dollar accounts for uh, businesses and organizations downtown. And if they're going to listen mm -hmm. to me and they're going to see me, then I will be in those places. If you don't have time for me, peace out. I've, I've got other things to do. And so yeah. I think it's really important for, for us to understand the adolescents are in the midst of an important time in their lives. And Pastor Guadalupe, I'd be interested in your, as you're literally intersecting with individuals in the midst of their, shall we say, higher education and so forth, they have great aspirations, but oftentimes may not be heard in the church. Yeah, absolutely. I really like, there's a comment here in the thread about, we keep saying uh, that we are the church of tomorrow, the church of tomorrow, but that church never comes. Um, I have a couple of opinions on that, and these are just my opinions alone, so I will take responsibility for what I'm about to say. I think that we have raised generations of young people to assume that sp spiritual leadership can only take place within the confines of a local church. Mm. Um, so if we understand how a local church works, mm. there's only so many, so many positions to give away. And those positions are held down for a year, two years, sometimes five mm -hmm. years by the same people. Where does that leave room? for other people to come and to learn. It doesn't, right? But when we become a church that recognizes, uh, that, that actually that moves away from this hierarchical structure of church, right? And we are moving, we are moving away from that, but it's not good for us. Uh, we understand that 25% of non-Christians don't trust clergy. We understand that only 52% of people in church even care for our guidance or see us as authority <laughs> figures anymore Mercy. you know uh, so what does that say like wh where do wow. where are we supposed to give voice to these young people coming up and yes i think that we can make space for them in our leadership in our yes. nominating committee you know, at our boards at our subcommittees but i'm going to tell you right now that that's not enough because if we mm -hmm. are not investing in uh in their faith on a day to day from sunday to friday church will still be irrelevant to them, even if they sit on wow. the board, even if they read scripture every Sabbath and they sing or they participate in children's story or giving children's story, it's not enough for them because faith and the practitioner of faith is more than just Sabbath. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Wow. wow. We got to be more yeah. than just Sabbath keepers. We got to be more than just yeah, it's, it's, it's the programmatic approach We're that Sabbath we've just workers. gotten so intoxicated with that, that if yeah. it's, if it's, if they're on the program, then they are engaged. And it's like, ah, if I had hair, I'd pull it out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. I do oh, have hair. Goodness. I'm here. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's full, full <laughs> Right, if if you were to go, if any of our audience uh, were to go to YouTube today and to type in the search frame deconstructing faith or deconstructing church, they would find a slew of videos where, where, where young adults, a lot of young adults, where they are putting up videos, which is they have deconstructed faith, deconstructed church and have moved away from it. Um, so when we see that as a kind of a trending reality within the church and particularly within evangelicalism, um, talk to us a little bit about that. When, when we hear the term deconstruction, what does that mean? Or we're deconstructing something. Um, and particularly in light of, of this article that, that many of us here are familiar with, that was by Joe Terrell, who's a part of Carrie Newhoff's organization. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Dr. Um, Martin. Me, okay, go ahead. Good. Yes, Pastor, Pastor Montour. Yeah. 
Uh, Brian Zan in his book, When Everything Catches Fire, defines deconstruction as a crisis of Christian faith that leads to either a re-evaluation of Christianity or sometimes to a total abandonment of Christianity. Essentially, mm. it's young people thinking about what it really means to follow Jesus. Now, mm. if any of you are familiar with Growing Young, uh, one of the core mm -hmm. commitments to Growing Young is taking Jesus's message seriously. This is young yeah. people saying, is the church that I've grown up is, is the culture of church and the moral standards that I've grown up with, is it taking Jesus's message seriously? And they're starting to ask those questions and they are coming to the conclusion, not just in uh, evangelism, but in Adventism. And they are coming to the mm. conclusion that no, my faith, my culture, the things that I've been taught, they are not based on scripture. They are not based on Jesus. What do I do Ooh. now? Mm. And they start to take wow. off those things, those burdens, because they become burdens, how to dress, how to eat, how to live, how I'm saved. And they start to take it off and they get to decide whether they want to continue down this path. Is this church relevant for me? Mm. My goodness. Listen, wow. you, you dropped a bomb. I mean, is the church relevant? Um, that, that is a powerful, powerful thought. Uh, a powerful observation of our church. And then you brought up growing young. And I know uh, Pastor Martin wants to chime in on that question, but can you talk a little bit about this growing young, those principles there? Um, because you brought up some good ones there, um, taking the message of Jesus everywhere. Uh, can you bring up a little bit more of that growing young, those growing young strategies? Yeah. But before you do that, Dr. Martin, you, you, Dr. You, Dr. Martin, you, you, you could try. Well, 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 the reason why, no, the reason why I'm saying bringing bringing it up, just, and I know we'll probably highlight that later on, but I think it's so it's really closely related to what you were saying about you know some of the things that we do are irrelevant, right? Some of the things that we do as a church, and people are now saying, "What well, is this biblically based?" and so forth. Dr. Martin, can you bring up a few things of of, of that book? Just a, just a few. Or, or well, Pastor, uh, one of the main premises of the book is defining reality, which I think we're doing right now. I think part of the real challenge for us and part of the premise of the article that's been, been cited here is that there are some real reasons by which young people are questioning their faith. Now, when some of us grew up, we didn't question anything. You know, right. it's, it's, it's like you, you can't talk about mama's cooking. You know, there, there are certain things that are off the table in regards to conversing about. And the church was an authority uh, institution to which you did not question. Well, in today's day and age, our young people are understanding full well. Um, it's kind of a funny element when you get to a point in your sermon and you realize that if you're sharing facts and data, that in the instantaneous moment it comes out of your mouth, Pastor, your young people can fact check you instantaneously to whether or not to tell whether or not you're telling a fish story or you're telling <laughs> yes. some type of fable or if it's actually fact. And then there's also fake facts, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Mm, sure. Mm -hmm. So the the beauty of the growing young Adventist data is that it's taking a look at the real problems that we're experiencing in the local church. Uh, young people are not leaving the church just because they're wayward and bad. 
Uh, if that's the case, there is a lot of unfortunate situations where, as our guests um, that are they, that are signing in and sharing in the guest chat, they say they don't have any young people in their church. Well, mm. maybe it's time for us to ask, well, if as opposed to thinking that all those young people are bad, what are potentially the bad things or the unfortunate things or even just simply the challenging things that we're not talking about? I greatly admire this upcoming generation because they're no longer satisfied with just sweeping everything underneath the rug. And so what Growing Young Adventist has done is saying, okay, let's take a look at the landscape of churches across the American uh, perspective, because we have a lot of international guests here, but the reality of Western influence and the reality of a global village is what we're experiencing here. But uh, they, as opposed to looking at the problem and continuing to kind of repeat looking at the problem, what the research was doing, Dr. Henry, was looking at what are the churches that are actually thriving to which young people and young families are drawn to. And they took that research and distilled six commitments that are part of the Growing Young uh, research and we've adopted in Growing Young Adventists. Beautiful. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point and I would be very um, intrigued by some of those who are in our audience today who are outside of North America, outside of the United States, just kind of chiming in. I, I'd be interested to see, are they experiencing some of these same issues with young people and young adults um, outside of the U.S.? Is this unique to our culture? Is there something within, you know, what we do here in North America that is contributing more to this, um, I won't even call it a phenomenon, but to this situation. Um, so mm -hmm. if you're from outside of the United States, feel free. We'd love to hear from you as to what's happening with young adults in your context. What I would add to that, uh, Pastor Paul, is that I'd, I'd like to summarize what the article shared as reasons why young people are deconstructing. And let's go ahead and hear from our listening audience here if they can affirm these items as actual realities wherever they are. And in addition to those that are overseas, I think also in some of our ethnic-based churches mm -hmm. that are either language-based or nationality-based, I'd be interested to see what they're experiencing. But here are the reasons that were given by the, the article by, um, that was shared um, by Joe Terrell as to the reasons why young people are deconstructing to which many of them will, will, will have an experience of potentially leaving or taking a break from church. Number one, trust in large institutions is declining across all, all across the board. One of your uh, folks online mentioned, you know, this isn't just happening in the church. This is yeah. happening in mm -hmm. society and culture. So that's number one, a reason why young people are deconstructing. Number two, we live in a more diverse, accessible, and mobile world. Number three, High-performing Christians are simply burning out. In other words, there are role models in the lives of our young people, but as a result of those people literally being consumed and spit out by church work, um, yeah. they're being burnt out. Uh, young people are saying, do I really want to be a part of this? Number four, mm -hmm. the prideful prioritization, and this is stinging, of conformity over unity. And number five, the acceptance of political idolatry and conspiracy theories in Christian communities. <laughs> now, so now, Doc, you, you you were saying those are those were in those were not specific to Adventism. That was just in evangelicalism, right. Christianity at large. That's and, correct. And That's yet, the, go ahead. Well, some some would argue that that number five, <laughs> when it comes to Adventism 
there there's some built-in stuff there that that we really theologically we almost cannot get away from when it comes to conspiracy theories in Christian communities. And so what do we do with stuff like that? And let me, let me be clear, let me be plain. When we talk about eschatology within the Seventh-day Adventist church, when we talk about our relationship to certain, um, uh, can I, shall I dance on this? Um, <laughs> don't dance, don't dance. We, we, we pulled the cover we, we, off. We, Pastor Montoya Okay, the let's cover do it. Off. When we talk specifically <laughs> yes. about yes. The, the Roman Catholic, Roman Catholicism or Roman Catholic Church, um, and even other things, there's, there's conspiracies galore that are authentically built in to um, how we teach and what we present. And then there's some stuff that's not authentic, that's just really even crazy to some of that. Um, but we have that thing that's kind of hanging on. And, and, and what this research is saying is that this is part of the reason why young people are deconstructing. They're saying, look, we, we're going to analyze this stuff to the point of saying, yeah, we don't even believe that stuff anymore. How do we do? How, what do we do with those things that we have that are genuinely and uniquely a part of us that seem to be reasons why young people are, are, are deconstructing? OK, I'm going to defer for just a moment here to uh, Pastor Guadalupe because uh, she's dealing with young adults right. In fact, she has some pastoral interns that are dealing with this reality right in the here and now. So would you just give some commentary, uh, Guadalupe, to this, this reality? It feels like we got stuff that's a part of our denominational identity that is a little bit wackadoo. What do you do with that? You know, we got to go back to the foundation of the house. And part of mm. the foundation of this Adventist house is that we have been raising generations of people to be afraid um, when they get to a place in their life where they doubt or where they have questions. Because if our foundation was not that, if our foundation was not afraid of questioning, then when people would come to the stage, they wouldn't shelter, they wouldn't hide in place or they wouldn't you know, keep it to themselves and try to work through it themselves. If we created a foundation where the culture of our church was okay with questions and doubt and mm. curiosity and reading outside of Adventism, you know, um, then we'd, one, we'd have more exposure, we'd have more empathy, which is really what our young adults are, have been lacking. We lack empathy uh, with people's experiences. Part of, part of deconstruction and what it is, is that one, we know mm -hmm. it's not a movement. Deconstruction is not a movement because a movement implies that everyone's going in the same direction and, and, and landing on the same spot. But every single, if we were, if all five of us was to deconstruct, yeah, yeah, it would look yeah. different because I would deconstruct mm -hmm. as a young uh, Hispanic female and the toxicity of sexism in my church. And mm. you, uh, uh, Pastor Roger, you would deconstruct as a black male in a white dominated denomination, overall leadership, right? That's how you would start mm, to deconstruct. Mm, mm. And how far down the spiral I would go would depend on where I would like to go, where my commitments mm -hmm. lie. So I just wanna, I just wanna kind of paint that foundation that deconstruction looks different to everyone. And, and there's another assumption too that comes back to the foundation um, that we assume that when a young person is deconstructing mm -hmm. that they are mm -hmm. deconverting. 
is not automatic to people leaving Jesus. Mm. Okay. And we have, I, I just in my counseling sessions with young people, they feel that any level of questioning or curiosity that does not align with Adventism, that somehow they have sinned and they've fallen short and that there is no hope for them. So that in itself moves them away because they feel like there's no hope. So all that to say is that de de deconstruction is, uh, there's just so many nuances to what it means, um, but that mm -hmm. we should not be afraid of it. And as a church leadership, we need to welcome it. Um, I think it was Brene Brown who talked about, uh, uh, I love Brene Brown, uh, but she talked about this idea that when people wrestle and have questions and doubt, whatever they end up with at the end of that wrestling, they take ownership of it. It becomes who they are and they love it. Um, uh, one of the things which is so sad for our church, and I think just really any church, is that we have also equated numeric numbers like of attendance to discipleship. Our rooms can be filled with thousands mm. of young people and old people, and there could be two disciples of Jesus Christ. Mercy, wow. my well, we Lord. Have, our metrics of success have always been numbers instead of wow. empathy. Our metrics of success have been how much tithe we collect as opposed to how many uh, people have fallen in love with Jesus more and more and have and live it out in their everyday life. So uh, I even forget what the question was, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, listen. Keep look, keep forgetting. You keep, keep going. Hey, keep on forgetting. I'm, I'm listen, you are, you are just adding wisdom to this conversation Mercy. based on your experience, your knowledge. So, man, I, I, I really appreciate you. Go ahead, Doc. I'm going to up. piggyback off of a, what Pastor Guadalupe has shared here. And um, I'm, I'm interested in this generation and this roundtable and our audience here reclaiming Adventism. Mm. Reclaiming Adventism. Mm. Because the various derivative DNA strands that we've now called a denomination is unfortunately looking through the wrong lens. And so to looking at the foundation, which um, Pastor Montour has brought up here, I would like to challenge the Adventist church to decide where they want Jesus Christ to be in the midst of our faith family. So if we decide to her point here, you can have people gathered, much like when Jesus had people gathering around his sermons, you remember that? It was a crowd of all kinds of people with all kinds of ideas as to what they were doing there, what they were looking to take away from it, and how are they, some of them, how to take this, this, this preacher out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we change our lens in Adventism to one that's a Christocentric lens built off of the idea that Christ incarnate is the glove that God says is his character, yeah. it gives us an opportunity to build a foundation not built off of fear, but built off of love. Amen. Yeah. And it wow. gives Adventists this beautiful prism by which to understand our theology in such a way that draws people to Jesus, as opposed to um, scares people into the Adventist doors. And I think there's a real opportunity for there to be transformative. Now, I'm going to add one more comment to this before we move to, on to the next topic. Let's be very clear here. One of the developmental tasks for late adolescents and young adults, you know what it is? We call it identity formation, which could very well be thought of as deconstruction. Mm. In other yeah. words, when your teenager gets their driver's license and gets the keys to the car, they begin the process of saying, these are the thoughts that my mom and dad have about speed limit. And these are my thoughts about speed limit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
That identity formation continues onto young adulthood where you are no longer going to church because you, your parents go to church or because they're the authority figure in your life. You're beginning to deconstruct your parents' faith, your parents' values, and now beginning to integrate your own. So this idea that's turned into a little bugaboo called deconstruction to which everyone's scared of is what we actually hope that young people go through. I share this shocking statement just to make sure people get the, the picture here. There is no good purpose for a 20-year-old man, a 25-year-old man to continue to breastfeed from his mama. So okay. we want our young adults to actually form their own ideas. And this includes their ideas about church and faith. And so in this particular quadrant, I, I love what Pastor Guadalupe is doing. Many of our folks here that are that are on the, you don't have to be a pastor to be able to do this. But the coming alongside of individuals when they have doubts, when they have questions, mm -hmm. to empathize with the realities of what they are experiencing in the midst of these, potentially the guilt or potentially the shame they're experiencing, given their own religious background. When we do that, we give an opportunity for Jesus to be very present in the lives of our teenagers and our young adults, and especially for our young adults, because they come to a point in their lives where they have to decide for themselves where they're going to land with Jesus. And if landing with Jesus doesn't necessarily land them in the church, friends, I'm going to say this, it may be a little bit, a little bit heretical, but if they land with Jesus and it doesn't end up with land, landing in the church, I think I'm, I'm more comfortable with them landing with Jesus. Mm. Hey, hey, mm. All right. Hey, listen, listen, listen. one minute, but be, you know, as you were share, as, as uh, Pastor Montal was sharing and Dr. Allen, as you were sharing there, um, the thought came up in the Adventist church, we came to a, a, a realization that Jesus was not key in our teaching, our theology. And we added a, an additional uh, fundamental belief which I don't think caught on as yet. I'm I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing it. I'm, I'm you know up there. But but I'm I'm wondering. Um, has there been a sense? Y'all are y'all y'all are in the front lines. You, you you have a weekly service. You're involved connecting with young. Do you see the the structure of the church or the the, the larger machinery we call the Seventh Adventist Church with this additional fundamental belief of growing in Christ? Is that making a difference, or we're just doing business as usual? Okay, friends, let's, let's just be really clear here. If any of you are able to recite all 28 of our fundamental beliefs, you get a bonus prize, a, a fun-filled vacation in South Florida with Pastor Paul. From the okay. NAD, sponsored by the NAD. Let's be really clear on this. And this is where the Growing Young Adventists, uh, Growing Young Research and how we're deploying in Growing Young Adventists is super important. One of those values that has been shared with churches that are thriving with young families and young people, one of those commitments is they take Jesus's message seriously. Mm, yeah. Okay. So you can add, you know, you can add uh, a, a, a sub postulate to this theological doctrinal belief. And if you were to ask our young adults to recite any one of our doctrinal beliefs, they may get the Sabbath. And a couple of others, but the newest right. ones that have been added, uh, probably Roger would not be on their radar. But I'll tell you this: they Sounds know like about a no, Rog. 
Yeah. Sounds like a no, right? <laughs> to your question. They listen, know there, about there were, yeah, they know that. But they, but they yeah, they know about Jesus. Yeah. Listen, there were two things in that previous conversation that I wanted to I wanted to suggest. Number one is that, and, and I think Ellen White makes this. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that, but I, I don't mind saying it. Ellen White makes the the suggestion that there were those in those crowds, Dr. Martin, that you mentioned that were in the 5,000 and all those crowds that were following him around, that some of those same hard-headed, knuckle-headed people were in the crowd that was shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So those numbers, Pastor uh, Amantour, that you talked about, you can have all these people and people in the seats, but that does not necessarily mean that they are disciples. Um, and then I, 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 I forgot what my other thing was that I wanted to share on that. Um, uh, and it, when it comes, I'm going to interrupt Roger next time so I can get, uh, get that out. <laughs> I've been enjoying this conversation and uh, just got a just got a burning question here to ask. And I know that you know Roger has another question on top of that. But uh, you brought up these five reasons why young people are destructing their faith. Right. And, you know, we're trying to relate to Adventism. Um, there's one area, one of those reasons that says if everyone in your church uh, right from that article from Newhoff, if everyone in your church is expected to look, talk, think, and believe exactly like you, your church isn't as welcoming as you assume. This is right from the article. Instead, you've created a culture that sacrifices unity for conformity, right? I want you, and I know you elaborated on that a little bit, but I want you to, to really um, dig into that, uh, Pastor Guadalupe, as it relates to our young adults, as they look at the church, you talked about questions that they have, and then you also brought up the growing young strategies, and one of the strategies that they have in growing young is unlocking keychain uh, key leadership, right? You know, trying to unlock the... So how, how do we combine the questions that we have as a church, the young adults having those questions, but yet we have to turn over the keys to them. How does this play a part in our church? You think it's gonna work? You think that's, have you talked to us a little bit about that? You know, I, I love growing young. Um, I've had great opportunities with them. Um, I wanna say that if you are not able to take the assessment and you are like, well, where, where do we start on this wheel, you know, of these six core commitments that will allow your church to start thriving with young adults, I would always say start with fueling a warm community, a community that says belonging before belief. Um, I think that as Adventists, we have been so, we, we are geniuses, theological geniuses. Um, and in many ways we have um, idolized prophecy and we have idolized hierarchy and we don't know what it is to be each other's brothers and sisters mm. and if we can fuel a warm community which is one of the cores uh, which is instead of focusing on cool worship programs or programs in and of themselves we are aiming to build relationship to literally journey with people now i gotta tell you that that's a lot to ask it is easier for us to have programs. It is easier for us to plan retreats that are focused on programs because that is not the hard work of connecting deeply with people. 
Um, so if you're going to start with anything, if anything is going to allow for unlocking keychain leadership or empathizing with today's young people or taking Jesus's message seriously or prioritizing young people with, uh, with finance and position uh, and with being great neighbors is by fueling a warm community. Because in warm community, I get to become a mentor and be mentored. I get to learn what this generation is going through and then empathize with them. I get to understand and study together and come to conclusions together on what Jesus's message seriously is. And then because I love them, because I mentor, because we study together, I can now as a church and being in positions in church, I can now prioritize all of these people and become the best neighbors to the people in church as well as to the community. So mm. yeah, to growing young, read the book, but fuel a warm community. And we cannot fuel a community when our emphasis is on numbers, when our emphasis is on gear. And um, and Alan's gonna correct me, and I hope you do, because I can't remember the name, but uh, I was uh, with Vandy on a couple of weeks ago um, at uh, some meetings in the North American division. And he said something about young people don't need a sage on the stage. They need a guide mm. on the side. And I know it's not attributed to Vandian, but he's the one who said it. So he's the one that, I'm, that, that, that I bring up. And this is true. Um, when I gave wow. those statistics, statistics earlier, pastors are irrelevant in the way that we used to be relevant uh, 20 years ago. Because as uh, Dr. Allen brought up earlier, they don't need us to dig deep into theological understandings anymore. They have the internet, okay? They have mm. a rise, uh, you know, learning school. They have all these, uh, they have about a thousand YouTube ministries and live streams that they can connect to. But what they need That's is good. the guide at the side, Sunday through Friday. That's good. And that is the hardest work that we're called to do that we are not doing in the church. We're not mentoring. Mm. We are babysitting generation. To piggyback on your question, uh, Dr. Henry, is that when we talk about keychain leadership, Dr. Scott Cormode out of the Leadership Institute at Fuller, uh, Fuller Seminary shares this very succinct comment. He says, leadership begins with listening. Mm. And so what um, Pastor Montour is suggesting to us, we don't want to make this super complicated. Um, we need to be able to train ourselves to listen for the heart as opposed to biding time before our reply. And if you're able to pull that off with a young adult once or twice, and let, let's give you a little life hack in regards to that. Next time you engage a conversation with a young person or a young adult, as opposed to giving them a response or the, the 28th fundamental belief <laughs> or some um, uh, reaction to what they're saying, say this simple phrase, tell me more. You do that a couple of times with a couple of different variations. And I guarantee you that that young person will develop a relationship with you that they didn't have before the conversation. That's right, Saba. Leadership begins with listening. And if we are listening with the right heart, relationships can develop and actually reverse mentoring can occur. All right. I don't know about you all, but you know, if I have a problem with a particular uh, universal remote 
or some other gizmo that I don't understand. <laughs> I'm going to the 11-year-old and the 13-year-old to figure out how to use that technology in regards Would you like to, to the, borrow my beard. <laughs> in regards to the language of today and how these phrases today are relevant for the contemporary culture, mm -hmm. I'm not talking to my 50 plus colleagues to ask them what drip means. I am looking for the next generation to tell me what is the context for the language of today that may not be part of what I understand. And not only can mentoring occur, but reverse mentoring can occur where we learn from this generation what it's like mm -hmm. to be truly a digital generation, to be mm -hmm. truly a generation where literally everything's at your fingertips, yet no one's taught us the ability to steward our time. These are challenges that are that are unprecedented, if I can use that curse word, um, unprecedented, and we could learn a tremendous amount from a new generation that is on the digital landscape and lives there. So Dr. Martin, Drip, tell me more. That's a whole other round That's probably um, NC-17, so let's just leave it at that. <laughs> okay, because I, I I'm I'm lit, uh, uh, legitimately ignorant on that. Hey, I'm However, gonna, so, I'm but, a, but that I'm reminded me. I'm gonna Google me, that uh, next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he makes me not want to Google it now, based on on his response. So, 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 watch this. And I, I remembered what I was trying to say earlier on, and then that was when you talked about the listening piece and and the Seventh Day Adventist Church, I believe, would not exist had there not been a generation of young people who were not willing to deconstruct the faith that they the faith systems that they were brought up in we would not mm -hmm. exist there would have been no exploration of the sabbath or of the 2300 days the sanctuary system none of those things would exist had a generation of young people not been willing to deconstruct the current context of their faith systems now the beauty of what you said there and i'd love uh, because uh, right now, actively, some of Pastor Montour's pastoral interns are deconstructing their experience of, of Adventism, right? Right as we speak. This is not just some type of hypothetical mm -hmm. that will help us develop another another doctrinal belief. Um, the the part that I think is super important in regards to what you shared there is that they weren't de they weren't deconstructing in isolation. This was not just a bunch of teenagers and twenty somethings deconstructing on their own. They had mm -hmm. older, more mature Christians, yeah. faith believers, um, intellectual individuals that were probing these ideas alongside them. And to Pastor Montour's comment, the, the original citation is with Dr. Tim Elmore out of Growing Leaders. The generation in the 19th century that helped found our church, okay? Same thing here in the 21st century. They are less interested in a sage on stage, basically talking about an expert that knows everything, that has all the answers to everything. It's like the Encyclopedia Britannica, where you can find all the answers to everything. They're not interested with a sage on stage. They're far more interested, these next generations, these emerging generations, with a guide on a side. When the guide comes along, it's not necessary to provide all the answers, but to, to provide some probing questions, to hear clearly as, 
some of us, I like to, most of the time when I'm solving a problem, I like to speak it out and organize it with my, my, with my words. Others are more talented in regards to digesting what they're hearing and construct where they're coming from. But I need someone to come alongside me and question me as I'm questioning, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. To help me refine mm -hmm. and sharpen. And I would dare say when, when Guadalupe, Guadalupe, Guadalupe is talking about mentoring, this is the role of the mentor is not to be the answer, the repository of all the answers. It's it's the one that's willing in a trust relationship to ask you the harder question as to your motivation, as to your doubt, and to be all right to be in that space with you. In fact, potentially working on the idea of empathy, trying to understand where you're coming from, as opposed to reacting, responding, or retorting based on what I think I know. So, so let me some, let me ask this question here. When when you said that, it, I thought about this. I said, if we are, if the older generation is the is the guide, could it be that we are afraid of what the shape is going to be? That we have not we have not allowed the answer to help um, uh, feel the direction or shape the direction of the church. So we want to make sure that it stays the way it is. So we, we tend not to, so, so, so our guiding becomes, I'm going to tell you the answer one time, but could it be that we are afraid of it as, as the older ones? And what, what can we do to break out of that concept of being afraid to, to, to give it over? Um, I'd like to, uh, I guess, restate the, that word fear. I think it was Abraham Lincoln. I don't, I'm not good with the quotes, but doc, Dr. Allen is, so he's good for that. Um, there's a saying that says, uh, and I think it, it was him who said it. He said, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. And I think that is true about the generational gaps that we see. When one generation does not like another generation, whether it's the older to the younger, the younger to the older, it's because we have not taken the time to sit in community with each other. So we are always afraid of the unknown. We are always afraid of what's on the other side. But if we were really to take that step, um, that fear would turn into empathy. Mind you, the key word here is empathy. If we were to get to know the next generation better, then we would be able to have to know that there's nothing to be afraid of that their human experiences their faith experiences their love experiences are very similar to us because sometimes i think we are and we are in some groups of adventism we see degrees as if someone's a superior intellect a scholar and no offense to all the doctors here um then <laughs> then we then they're the go-to uh, but if we don't if they don't have degrees or they don't have uh, all this training and age then we feel that they don't what they have to say is not as important so what is this what am i trying to say here is that you can do it you can be a mentor hmm. i can be a mentor hmm. i can be mentored it's literal it's a literal pouring into each other so why are we afraid because we don't know each other because we don't understand mm. the next generation, because we look at the things that they love and the things they participate in. And because they're so different from how we grew up as Adventists, we, we deem it evil or, uh, you know, or, or, or unrighteous mm -hmm. or unholy, you know, and then we get stuck uh, trying to conform people to our likeness instead of to the likeness of Christ. Um, and that is taking the message of Jesus seriously, because if we were to take the message of Jesus seriously, then we would not endeavor to have control over people's 
decisions or lifestyle Mm. or dress. If we were to take the message of Jesus seriously, then we would endeavor not to control where they should be in their spirituality, but that we would be moved with love and empathy to join them wherever they are and to lead them and to guide them and to help them and then to have them lead us and help us and guide us. But Pastor, does, doesn't that imply the same thing though? If, 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 I, if I don't think that, if I think that they are not where they ought to be and I'm coming alongside, am I, aren't I still coming alongside to lead them where I think they should be? So aren't, aren't those things closer together than, than, than? Well, I think you said it in your answer, lead them where I think they should be. That's the problem. We have an image of what, but I thought that's what you just said. That that's what you were just saying was to come alongside and to get them to some. So part of counseling here, right? Like part of when I counsel young people or even Mm -hmm. as a mentor or as a coach, we ask questions hoping that they will answer and then find their own response. And in their own responses, they hear their own answer. I don't have a preconceived notion that I think they should dress like Ellen White. I think that they should be comfortable with the decision they make about how they dress and be confident in it, right? So So, one is a leading question because I have a bias and a direction I wanna take them. And another is helping them find where they wanna go where the Holy Spirit is leading them. And I think that's also an assumption that we make about the young. I think Timothy talks about this, right? We look at young people and we're like a bunch of idiots. They don't know how to make decisions, (laughs) right? Like, don't we do that? So then, so then the coming along that the Holy Ghost in me is the same Holy Ghost in them leading them at the right time, at the right place. Mm, But we don't do that because we think our Holy Ghost is better than their Holy Ghost. Yeah, and, and I, I think I think that becomes an, an issue for so many of us because we My say we, we ask the questions, and I think this is a legitimate situation for many people who say, Why would the Holy Ghost lead me someplace different than it would lead you if it is the same Holy Ghost? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where often this this drive to want to take people where I am is because this is where the Holy Ghost lead me, led me. And so I assume that this is the same place because it's the same Holy Ghost that you need to be as well. And so deconstructing that concept, I think has mm-hmm. some, some, some now, and just because you deconstruct something does not mean as we, we were many earlier, does not mean that you know, you may end up in the same place you were at the very beginning. You deconstruct it, meaning you pull it apart, you analyze it, you try to figure out what's good, what's bad. You may pull it apart and find out that it was all good. And so you build the thing, that same thing that you had before. But that, but it still validates the process of deconstruction is still validated. And I remembered my other point that I was going to make earlier is that is that deconstruction in this context, particularly in its original philosophical context, is another term that we use in theological circles. You tweak it a little bit and it changes from deconstruction to exegesis. <laughs> let me let me uh, go back to what, uh, what was shared by Pastor Guadalupe and also the original question by Dr. Henry here, is that uh, Ronald Heifetz has this great quote, a leadership guru that says this, I'm sorry, it was uh, Elder Wade that was asking, what, what, what about all the old people that don't want to change? You know, people, mm-hmm. um, 
it, it, basically the quote is like this, and it's a poor paraphrase. I apologize. I'm not getting it exactly right. But Ron Heifetz says, people are not so, not so much resistant of change as they're fearful of loss. People are not so much resistant of change as they're fearful of loss. And so to your question, Roger, is that as I'm seeing these next generations coming up and they want to change things and they want to move forward and they have all kinds mm -hmm. of ideas, the previous places where I had a sense of meaning and purpose are being threatened. Mm. And I feel not so much, I'm not so much concerned about change. I'm concerned about your change. And where, where does that leave me in the mix? Okay. My, my, my. Right. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Henry, if you'll please give testimony to this, uh, because I take great offense to what Pastor Guadalupe said about doctoral students and doctoral people, is that if we learn anything in the doctoral process, it's how much we don't know. <laughs> it's how much we don't right. know. And so the part that I would say to kind of meld this together to what, what, um, what Pastor Paul was sharing here, are we thinking by 28 fundamental beliefs that we've got Jesus figured out? That we've got God the Father figured out? That we've got the Holy Spirit figured mm. out? Is not the same inspired pen telling us for the rest of eternity we'll be discovering more about the character of God? Mm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so if we are just, if we have 28 statements that we've made with our less than perfect language, and we say, this is what everyone has to hold to. And this is what the rest of eternity will be studying. We're done. I can make an A in mm. that class. Yeah. Right? <laughs> However, the transformative power of Jesus, and this is the part that I think is super important in regards to deconstruction. And to your point, uh, Anselm, in regards to young people, don't you love the Bible? It's a story, a long history of broken people like a little toddler taking steps and sometimes falling down and being picked up by Abba God and taking a couple more steps and falling down and every so often heading the wrong direction and having to learn their lesson and then coming back and still Abba Father is still present with them and wanting to teach them, all right? This mm -hmm. is different from me saying, okay, young man, <laughs> walk in this straight line, each step perfectly set to set the stride and the, the velocity in the proper direction, um, there is there is a beauty to this idea that God is with us in the midst of our questions, our doubts, and in the times that we've had foibles. But these are long histories of biblical heroes. We only have one Enoch, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have a lot of them in the Bible. <laughs> and so as young people are going through this, what better than saying, I love and this is this was not original to, to Charles Bradford, but I oftentimes utilize it in the same way that uh, Vandy and Yose used the, the Elmore quote, quote, because it just reminds me of what my role is as a guide on the side. I'm just a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And so mm -hmm. if we consider young adults, teenagers, collegiate students, young professionals as individuals that have to come to this point of identity formation, they have to deconstruct and to make sure that it resonates with their with their identity and it makes logical sense to them and they're not just drinking the Kool-Aid and believing what their parents believe. Um, I think that there's something to be said about people experiencing that with Jesus. And if indeed they're experiencing it with Jesus, I'm okay with being a guide on the side because I may learn something mm -hmm. too. Wow. So, so here, it's just 
Go ahead, Raj. No, I, I was I was going to switch it a little bit, but go on. So, so just to kind of follow up to, to kind of this whole conversation, really, is that whenever we have these conversations, we inevitably, just by default, we talk about young adults and young people as a monolith, as if they're all the same, need have the same needs, they experience life through the same lens and have the same needs. What parts do we know or at least have some broader categories is in other words is there a set of young people or young adults who do value and need a sage on the stage um as opposed to a guide on the side or is that something that covers the entire group do we take the time to kind of pick apart and figure out you know who of this you know, this great body of, of young people and young adults, how much of these, these broad swaths that we use colors all of them or some of them? I know, Dr. Martin, you mentioned earlier that the desire to want to hear from even those in North America from different cultural groups to see if there were some differences in that. How much effort do we put into trying to figure out the specificity of the needs of our young people apart from just using the broad strokes? I'll just say this, and uh, Pastor Guadalupe, please, please chime in here, is that I will say in regards to our young people in the research, in my experience, which is coming up on, wow, 40 years of experience in youth and young adult ministry, in regards to my talking with colleagues, we find that young people across the broad swath are looking for three things, identity, mm-hmm. belonging, and purpose. Identity, mm-hmm. belonging, and purpose. So when we look for an opportunity here, and this is why we need a diverse church, not a conformity church, not a recipe church, not where everyone's using the same you know, manual in regards to approaching our young people. So um, tell me, um, tell me more. We do not need recipes in regards to dealing with youth and young adults. We need individuals that have a desire to hear where they are to kind of understand empathy, where they're coming from, a willingness to listen, not only to that young person, because leadership begins with listening, but also a willingness to listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Good. Because what's going to happen is that if you start off talking about the NBA playoffs, inevitably, if you have a subsequent conversation with that young person, you'll be talking about something else. And inevitably, as you're talking about their grades or what their interests are mm-hmm. in regards to what they're going to do after school and so forth, I will guarantee you 100% that at some juncture, God will come into the conversation. Yeah. Spiritual issues will come into the conversation. And when that young person comes to you and says, you know, Pastor Dion, if you would just put your pastor hat aside for just a second, I'm wondering if you could answer this question for me. The opportunity for you to give sage-like wisdom is afforded out of a trust relationship, not out of a doctoral degree. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's when huge. you have an opportunity that, and, and friends, I'm going to inc- include those of you in the chat right now. We as adults, for those of us that have migrated past youth and past young adulthood, we have a role, friends. We have a role. We have to conspire with one another to be in the lives of our young people. 
because you know this to be true, and each one of you probably experienced it to a certain degree. A gangster uh, montour there will tell you this is the truth. We've all come through a stage when we thought our parents were the most stupid people in the world. <laughs> or they, yeah. they didn't know anything. They don't know anything about the current times. They don't know what I'm going through, yada, yada, yada. However, when that coach spoke into the life of that young person that thought their parents were, were idiots, uh, it, it, it made an impact. When, when that youth pastor, after the lock-in or whatever, took a moment to ask them how they were doing, they had an impact. So we as adults have to conspire with one another to be a diverse, like uh, the research says, what's the ratio of Guadalupe, five to one? You know, in a typical chaperoning situation with teenagers, you want to have a, it's typically thought of that you need to have one adult per every five young people. Is that correct? Other way, is that still the case? So so they say. <laughs> they still yes, say. that's still the case. <laughs> <laughs> so with permission slips and so forth, and you go to a theme park or whatever, you need to have at least for legal purposes, one adult per every five young people, right? Dr. Chap Clark and his extensive research with family ministries turned that idea on, on its head and said, what if, what if we as a church, as a faith community, as an expansive Adventist educational system, all decided we're gonna turn that idea on the head? And what if we made an aspiration in the local church and in local school that for every one young person, we will have five godly individuals that we that dedicate mm. themselves to intersect with that young person. Wow. Right? Okay. Because when we mm -hmm. do that, when we build those relationships, to your point, uh, the large swath is, is the reality here is that if I have a relationship with you, if I tell you to your face, listen, friend, I, I know where you're going with this situation, but having sex out of marriage is going to end up with some devastating hurt for you. If mm -hmm. I don't have a relationship with you, that word will not be received. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But if I have a relationship with you and you know a bit of my history and we've had conversations and I give you that word of admonition that is a sage bit of wisdom, you will receive it because I've spent the time to be a guide on a side, not trying to impose my values on you, but saying, listen, if 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 you if you want to hear my side of the story here and you and we're having this conversation and you're asking me what I'm thinking, maybe it's not the best thing for you to do that right now. That's an opportunity mm -hmm. for state wisdom to be deployed. Unfortunately, we'd rather just give them the statement and the statistics and the data and the and the declaration yeah. that this is the way you should go and don't you leave it, as opposed to saying wow. teach them the ways that they should go and they will yeah. follow in those ways. But it requires that relationship that relationship texture for that to occur. Love wow. It. Well, Love it. well, this is this this is a lot of information. I know we have a few minutes left. Um, there's a few things that we want to just just pick your brains. You know, you all are expert at this. You all are doing some great things in in the church. And we talked a little bit about the Seminary Adventist Church and you know where they are. We you know we go through this program and we say, well, Seminary, we have a lot of young people, young adults asking questions. They feel like the church is is irrelevant and and not real. And and it's not like they're leaving spirituality. They're just leaving this religious system that we have. Some of them are leaving there and starting their own ministries and so forth, void from the church. Uh, okay, so you talked about walking beside 
our young adults. What are some other things that are working to to grow in growing young in our churches? You talked about the strategies, but what are some of the other things that are working? Um, and and what are some of the recommendations that you have uh, so that we can grow our church and grow our young adults in our church? Uh, Pastor Guadalupe. Your question is, how do we grow young adults in the church? Yeah, well, what are some things that are working um, based on your experience at, at your church? And, you know, you're on the North American Division uh, Council, so you're getting uh, information from some uh, other churches that are, are working with their young adults and the young adults are growing. So what are some things that are working? What are some of the recommendations that you have for, for all of us so that we can get our young adults more actively involved in ministry and be a part of the existing church? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I want to go off by what Denise of Batten said here. Relationship is key. I don't know if I've emphasized that like 20 times and I'm going to continue to do that probably for the rest of my life um, because that's what it is. Uh, that ratio that Alan gave, it's true for every young person. They need five people in their life that is heavily involved, that sees them, that loves them, that journeys with them. Uh, we need transparency and authenticity. We, we talk about, uh, we have young people, a generation of young people, millennials, Gen Zs, the, the Gen Alpha, that we just do not trust the church. We don't trust you. We, I don't trust me and I work for the church, you know, because we don't hold each other accountable. Mm. They, uh, people, gets people get raped, we hush them, you know? Racism is rampant and we say, let's not divide the church and stay quiet. Mercy. We need to take a stand. Mm a redemptive stand um, as a church. Um, so that's maybe one thing, empathy, building connection, relationship, being transparent. One of the things that I practice and that I'm known for here, and I can speak that openly, is that I am, you don't ever have to question where I stand on anything because I will tell you, okay? I share my stories openly my abortion story, my premarital sex story, my, you know, disenfranchised from the, from the church story, my immigration story, all that is public knowledge. Why? Because there is power in your story. And young people have been raised, and I can only talk from my context here, I, I meet so many young people who don't know basic concepts about sex, okay? Uh, people who don't have an understanding of what a healthy family should look like. People who don't know what to do when they're premaritally pregnant, should they get married because they're pregnant, right? Mm. We don't talk about this openly because of course we can't talk about this stuff from the pulpit because there is a standard at the pulpit, wow. fine. But can we talk about it on Tuesday? Can mm. you sit down with your five young people or, or, or the person whose life you're a part of and say, okay, what do you, enduring now? What are you suffering now? Do you hate God? Good. God can handle your curses. God can handle you shaking your fist at him and using all kinds of curse words at him. He can handle that. You know who can't handle that? Our elders, our other church leaders. They, they think that's, that's sinful. But God, if he could handle sin, he can handle when you're upset. Right? Uh, processing with people. Uh, when people are injured and hurt emotionally, right, uh, mentally, when they are hurt, we t we say, you know, just pray about it. 
let's stop praying about it and let's talk about it and then we conclude we can conclude with prayer we always talk about how the church of god is the body it's the people okay so show up people mm. yeah. but when we don't yeah. show up we expect god to show up but we can't say that the church that god is in the church and then the church doesn't show up in very mm. practical human ways so we need to show up Ooh. we need to build relationship we can have yes i think that there is a place for event and activity uh they become the catalyst for hopefully it becomes the catalyst for connection and community but uh there's a statistic it's it's about friendship you know how long it takes to take a person you meet to an acquaintance about 30 hours you know how long it takes to uh, build that acquaintance into a friend and then that friend to a best friend it takes about 200 hours of quality time wow people to that ultimate of friendship level and you know what we and we know that we are the loneliest generation so all this tells me is that we need wow. time with each other Mercy. so how do we help young adults how do we help the youth we spend time with them and that's the hardest thing we've ever done i'm sorry but i, I gotta do this you guys gotta do it <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I listen, love listen, it. Listen, very quickly, very, very quickly, Go ahead. But very quickly, um, uh, Floyd Spence shared that not yes. everyone can handle other stories, as some stories can be triggers or others. What, 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 what would you share with our mm. folks who are listening? If they know they can't handle some stuff, what should they do, or how should they then become a support? You know, seeing that they can't handle some of the stuff, some young people might be able to tell them or, or want to tell. This, this is where Pastor Guadalupe's admonition of transparency and authenticity is super important. It's yeah. super valuable. Sometimes the church can't handle the truth, okay? So we're not looking here for us to just have a raw, just rage of, of emotion that has no context. You can do that in a safe environment, but also, let's be very clear in regards to what Elder Spence is sharing with us. We have to do that in the context of relationship. Otherwise, yeah. we're just emotionally vomiting on one another mm. for the mm. sake of cathartically getting it out of our system as opposed Ooh, to saying, wow. man, I feel you in regards to that. I don't completely understand you, but I want to be in this place for you. So when we talk about trauma, when we talk about the realities of, of prejudice and racism, when we talk about the places where we've been invisible, simply invisible, mm. these are mm. real experiences that all of us ex have experienced but we have not experienced in the same way. And to answer the question that you're sharing here, because I think this is the authentic element, we no longer need a church building. We have this saying here at YG Church, be Jesus, be YG. We're encouraging and empowering our young people not to go to church, but to be the church. Mm -hmm. So when they gather with their friends, wherever they can gather with them, that Jesus is not absent from them because they aren't on a Sabbath morning at 11 o'clock, Jesus is there with them providing the healing salve and the understanding and the wisdom and discernment that only Jesus can provide. And when you gather together with a person in relationship, Jesus is there. And so, uh, Elder Wade, to, to answer your question here, we're not asking everyone to be counselors here. We're not asking everyone uh, to be able to be experts in regards to dealing with youth and young adults. But you can take them out to lunch. Mm. You can have a decaf coffee. I'm not sure how, you know. How. <laughs> you could be you real can, here. You could be real. Share a, you can share a warm drink with a young person and say, hey, how are you doing? And the first couple of times, right. the first couple of hours you spend with them, 
They'll say, I'm doing fine. It feels good and that type of thing. But you pass that 20th hour that you spent with them or you're, mm -hmm. or you're like an introvert that can, can hyperjack that, that conversation. And within 30 minutes, you guys are the best friends ever. You know, we all have different skills and, and, and the diversity of those skills. And to the point in regards to the stories, I, I love that uh, uh, Elder, Elder Floyd is on this, on this um, round table is that your story as mundane or as miraculous as it is, will bless someone. Yeah. If you don't share your story, yeah. okay, you don't have to come out of a cave, you don't have to come out from a meth addiction or whatever. If you don't share your story, Jesus cannot be glorified with that person that needs to hear your story. And so mm -hmm. in our research that we've done with Barna, one of the profound things that he shared was very simple. When you build trust and relationship, create places where you can share your stories with one another. Wow. Oh, Novel, Novel sh Harris shared something that, 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 that uh, Novel Allen shared something that's very, very true. I'm tired of hearing safe environment in our church. Yeah, if we're looking for the building to be safe, no one's safe. If we're looking for the building to be safe, no one's safe. Wow, wow. That but is if so you true. build rapport with a person and they understand that you're not going to share their story, on a social media platform, they understand that you understand the realities of boundaries and you're a godly person, not trying to manipulate the person to become like you, mm. then that person will know that you're safe. And so uh, mm. I, I want to put this out there too, just to make sure we're clear. When we say five individuals, godly individuals involved in the life of that one young person, in this day and age, I got to put this out there. You need to be individuals that are interested in relationships of virtue and integrity and godly but also volunteer verified if you're working within the church ministries construct we we we, we can't have a mix of individuals that seem safe only to have the reality to know that in the church building they were supposed to be safe only to hear the story again and again and again that our young person was not safe Wow. So we, we just wow. we have to be adamant about that. And we have to be we, we have to be persistent in regards to those godly individuals, but recognize full well. We're not going to just let anyone into the lives of our young people, into our homes and our families. We have to be conscientious in what we're doing, pastors. Listen, listen, our, our time is far spent, but I've got to ask this question. We talked about this in the pre-meetings. What is a profile for a church that has that that? once a young adult you know some churches feel like if i can get a young adult pastor we're gonna get young adults um i think before we were talking about the fact that um everyone thought that having a young adult pastor on staff was the the in thing and was going to make the difference in ministry but you you killed that idea when we talked but share with us what what how should a church evaluate if they need a young adult pastor or are there other ways in which we can minister to young adults without having to have a pastor? Either one. Y'all are in the trenches, you know. You can tell, can, maybe Pastor Monto, you could tell us what, what was the... <laughs> what, is the <laughs> what is the thing that triggered uh, um, um, College View to make sure they had to have a young adult pastor? So I can't speak to the history and uh, how it came about. I can only talk about my context. My context, we have over 2,000 church members that does not include the college students. Mm. Um, I think that in itself, when they thought about young adult pastor, they thought organizer, manager, administrator of. 
um, someone who builds other leaders. I think that not every context uh, needs, I, I'm actually really opposed to this whole pastor heavy situation that we have. We, I cannot do it all. I cannot be all to all people. Um, I think it's irresponsible of me to think that I am more than, than uh, Charles Metz, my intern young adult pastor, you know, who is 19. I'm not more than, wow. we are equal. That's and huge. I teach him what I know and he teaches me what he knows and we move forward that way. So you gotta look at your context and you gotta go, does my church want to love young people and if the answer mm. is yes then find someone who already loves young people and say mm. would you like to organize uh, opportunities for young people's voices to be heard mm. um i don't believe every church needs a young adult pastor um i think again that pastoring is going to look drastically different in the next 20 years we already understand that people don't look at pastors the way uh during billy graham's time he was the sage on the stage um and he was he was a sage and he was on a stage a lot uh but it's just not that time anymore and if i can build young people to believe in themselves to believe in their calling to believe in their ministries and these are not just people who are theologians or studying to be pastors these are accountants and doctors in the making if they can believe that now their ministry is as important as mine then we're off to a good start because pastoring is not the end all pastoring mm. is pastoring is a humble work um I don't know. That's my take. Let's build other leaders that build leaders that love on people. Amen. Dr. Mont Pastor Montour, there's a there's a there's a meeting next month in Indianapolis, and I hear there are some some positions that may be open. St. <laughs> <laughs> <Saint> Louis. <laughs> yeah, St. Louis. I'm sorry, St. Louis. Yeah, St. Louis. Louis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dr. Martin, wow. any 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 That's help tough. to our local churches on? Con if they're in the concept or thinking they need a young adult pastor or you're at YG, man, that, that, that is the ultimate young adult church, I think. Yeah, let, let, let's, let's clarify this. Many of our Adventist churches, not only in our context, but also in other Western cultures don't have young adults. Mm. Okay. But let's, let's begin to build churches that are in the long haul of relationships with their young people. If you don't have mm. any young adults, yet, I tell you what, those two or three year olds, you blink your eyes and they'll be driving your cars pretty soon. You blink your eyes again and, the, and they'll be they'll be asking, yeah. they're, they're going to be asking for their inheritance. Okay. So the reality <laughs> is, is that just because they go off to school doesn't mean they don't exist any longer. Just because they may take on a path that may not be the regular path doesn't mean you can't call them or text them. You have, you know, you have um, you have a, a better sense of where they are. And if you don't know where they are, ask their friends because their friends know where they are. So my recommendation to every church, every every individual, and I completely agree with Pastor Montour, the role of pastoring is all of our responsibility. Come on. <laughs> you know, you parent parents out there, you are the first church pastors of your children. Come on. You have more contact mm. hours with your children than I will ever have if I was to live to be older than Methuselah, all right? So it's super important, super valuable for us to understand. If I can conspire with you and I can conspire with Pastor Guadalupe and I can conspire with the pastor's round table, my young people have a chance. And I'm starting, I'm starting when they're three or four or five mm -hmm. or six or seven years old, okay? Okay. 
That's how I built. That's why I, well, that's why YG is here is because we didn't say, hey, you know what? We're going to build a young adult ministry. So we're going to introduce ourselves to the young adults when they enter uh, young, uh, college or when they graduate from high school. We start when they're young and say, we need you in this church. We need your help. We need your support because beyond the building, you are the church. And so here's the part. Here's the, here's the part that's a little bit tricky. Charles is only with uh, an intern for Pastor Guadalupe for only maybe a semester, maybe two semesters, maybe a year. Okay. But after that time, if she has come alongside him, no matter where Charles goes, he's going to be the church, right? Yeah. What if that were to happen for every one of your young people, the ones that get successful in the entertainment business, the one that wants to be a rap artist, the one that wants to be a neurosurgeon, the one, the, one, the one that wants to be the mayor of Maryland or the governor of Maryland or whatever role that is. If they become the church as opposed to going to church, I think the heavenly metrics will be far greater than the pew sitting that we've been so satisfied with for so long. Mm. Wow. Wow. I just, wow. I want to, you had asked a question earlier about what, what can we do? right, in this face of deconstruction. One, we can redefine uh, deconstruction when we talk about it in our inner circles as something that is positive, right? Something that no one should be afraid of. Uh, because in, in all technicality, we are all always reevaluating and analyzing some faith sector of, of Adventism. Um, so let's just bring it, de de there's nothing wrong with deconstruction. Deconstruction is people taking initiative to believe strongly in something um there is when people deconstruct uh, how do we respond as pastors right build relationship and all that stuff but one of the things and this i i believe this okay y'all y'all need to be on social media <laughs> that's just key we need to be up to date through what they're going through what their language is what they're struggling with what the world is promoting right research based sure we need to read we are leaders and leaders read so if you're a leader everyone on the chat y'all you are all leaders you should be reading if some of you have adhd or struggle with learning like myself i want to recommend to you insta read for ten dollars a month okay it will sum Audio up books, books too yeah. and give you the highlights it's fantastic but you need to read, you need to be aware what you're walking into, right? We, if we don't know what's happening, if we're afraid, it's because we're not up to date, we're not keeping in tune, we're not striding with them. So read, understand what is TikTok? What are the trends? I'm not saying get addicted to it, but I'm saying be in the know. This is something uh, that when we talk about uh, sending our missionaries off to Micronesia, right? They stop in Hawaii and they do this whole session of what it means to uh, be in a new culture. You know, this is the same thing. You are doing the hard work of informing yourself as you approach this new group of people. So read, do social media. Awesome. Awesome. You know, sign up for Fuller Youth Institute, uh, you know, mm -hmm. subscribe to their email listing.